Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Beloved, this morning, our reading of Scripture comes to us from the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus. The common English title for Exodus was inherited from a Greek word, exodos, which means the departure from Egypt. The book of Exodus is part of a larger literary unit known as the Torah or the Pentateuch. It contains five books we're all familiar with, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Exodus is a book detailing the beginning and formation of the people of Israel, a chosen people, consecrated and set apart as a holy nation. The main character of Exodus is Moses, and Moses is arguably the most prominent person in the Hebrew Bible, and he looms large over other early Jewish and Christian writings. Today's reading from chapter 24 of Exodus is positioned between legal material known as the Book of the Covenant in chapters 20 through 23 and the section detailing the tabernacle and worship, the center of worship for these people in chapters 25 through 31. This moment, this morning, is a crescendo of sorts. It's an ascent, an awe-inspiring mountaintop experience that will leave a lasting mark on Moses and the Hebrew people for all time. This moment in Exodus 24, it rises like a mountain peak above the flatlands of meticulous attention to the details of the moral life of the covenant community and the ordering of its worship. Suddenly, we are startled by this mystical moment in the midst of the mundane, that awesome amid the ordinary, the breathtaking, amid the boring. Let's turn now and hear about this lasting moment of wonder in the life of Moses and of Israel. Exodus 24, chapter, chapter 24, verses 12 through 18. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there. I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up onto the mountain of God. To the elders he said, wait here for us until we come back to you. Look, Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the Israelites, and Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. 
think for a moment of a, a time in recent memory in which you experienced something so awe-inspiring or breathtaking or extraordinary that you found yourself wishing that you could just make this moment last forever, like you just didn't have to go back to the ordinary world. Last spring, while walking the Camino with some of our young adults in Spain, I had this very experience of awe and wonder. We were walking through a thick canopy of trees with just the right amount of sunlight from the morning and, and uh, some shade washing over the trees. The conversations among the pilgrims were at that moment very oddly quiet for a change. And the leaves rustled in whispers in the gentle breeze. And suddenly the air was like charged with this jubilant chorus of bird song, unlike anything I had ever heard in my life. Not even Beethoven or Handel could compose such an anthem, and not even the greatest cathedrals in all of Europe could contain it. Coupled with the fragrance of wild flower and sage and the faint sounds of a babbling brook and some church bells in the distance, it was as if I was transported to a whole different world, a world that was animated by awe and wonder and the very presence of God. Have you ever had one of those moments? Just a few years ago, I took my, my oldest son, my middle child, on a camping and fly fishing trip to Mount Princeton just as we camped underneath the, the mountain there. And just as the sun went down, we started a campfire, and the campfire began to finally uh, idle down. And my son Casey looked up for the first time that night, and I heard an audible gasp. It was as if he had spent so much of his life in the suburbs that he had never seen such a, a breathtaking display. The countless diamonds and pearls, luminous and shining, tucked in against the, the black velvet of our galaxy. We were both speechless and stunned. And that night I went to bed thinking of the songwriter who, who wrote Psalm 19 thousands of years ago. And I imagined him alone one night in the wilderness of Israel, lying on his back, surrounded by shale and tumbleweeds and a chorus of humming insects, gazing up into the heavens and watching as star after star shot across the dark canvas of space as pulsars flirted and flashed, 
as the Milky Way stretched its back from one end of the universe to the other. And as the psalmist looked at all that, he believed in that moment that it was all trying to tell him something, that there was some message in the stars, so to speak. And so he wrote one of the most memorable lines in all of Scripture, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Awe and wonder, it's built into the fabric of our faith, and yet it's a rare experience. You know it when it happens. Uh, You can be hiking among the great sequoias, summiting Mount Elbert, standing before the Taj Mahal, or just holding a newborn baby in your arms, and you feel it. It washes over you. Reverence, immensity, ineffable beauty. The German theologian Rudolf Otto, he called it the mysterium tremendum. And he said it consists of two things, this experience of awe. It consists of two very specific things. First, the sensation of trembling, which comes from being the presence of something overpowering and and vibrantly alive. And number two, the sensation of mystery, which evokes feelings of being astonished or thunderstruck. It leaves you, in other words, feeling very small, and it renders you speechless. It's like it takes your ego out right at the kneecaps and reduces you to small things. This is a rare experience because in the modern world, uh, smallness and vulnerability and trembling, these don't get us very far. We like to show up large and in charge. We divide and conquer. We leave no stone unturned. We don't like surprises. We don't welcome mysteries. We solve them, right? One of the great films of the 1990s was a great movie called Grand Canyon. I was in seminary at the time that I saw it. It was required viewing by one of my seminary professors because not only was it a good film, but it was a good sermon. It's about characters who are, as we might say, awe-starved. They're living in a world that seems to have lost its compass every day. People are shot on the streets and little babies are abandoned in empty city lots. And the Grand Canyon itself becomes a metaphor for the growing rift in our society that keeps us polarized, but a metaphor also for that which we long for, the beauty and awesome of, awesomeness of that, that created um, experience of being at the Grand Canyon. It's the one thing that can unite us, is beauty. And in the film, one of the characters, Mac, I think he says what still is true today. He says, the world doesn't make any sense, and we're getting used to it. 35 years later, it rings true. The world doesn't make much sense because we live in this awe-starved culture. We've forgotten how small we are. We've forgotten how to tremble before the ineffable of life. In our story from Exodus today, God calls Moses to a very special meeting on Mount Sinai. God here in this meeting intends to give Moses the laws and commandments. uh, In other words, the divine blueprint for how to keep the Hebrew people in covenant with God. And Moses climbs the uh, the, the mountain, and, and as he approaches the summit, he's swallowed up by this great cloud. This cloud is no just ordinary mass of water vapor. It's, it's described here as the, quote, glory of the Lord. 
When was the last time you ever used the word glory? It's an odd word. In Hebrew, the word is kavod. It, it has two different meanings. One, it refers to the honor and the majesty and the utter greatness and immensity of God, which generates in us inspiration and reverence for God. And so kavod could mean something like magnificence or splendor. But kavod was originally a business word. And it referred to the heaviness of things that were bought and sold in the marketplace. Things like grain and spices, cattle and sheep, gold and marble and pearls. Kavod was a weights and measures term that referred to the, 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 the ensure the fairness of business transactions. Eventually, kavod took on a more metaphorical meaning, referring to the importance or weightiness of something. Have you ever experienced kavod? Kavod is that experience you have when you ask a friend how they're really doing and they really tell you the truth and they give you all the reasons for why they're not doing well and in that moment you think, oh, we're not doing the shallow thing right here. This is real. This is heavy. That's kavod. Heavy stuff. It's when the phone rings at 2 a.m. and the caller on the other end of the line says, I'm sorry to wake you, but it's weightiness. It's when all the dinner guests are gathered around the table and they're having a good time and, and laughing out loud and suddenly somebody there at the table breaks into tears and weeps uncontrollably and you have to drop everything and wrap your arms around her because you know this is, this is big, it's weighty, that's kavod. It's when the doctor comes in uh, in the middle of surgery and, and meets you in the waiting room and says, um, have a seat. Because what's going to come next is, is pretty heavy. You've got to take it sitting down. What does this all mean in terms of kavod and God? It means the weightiness of God. Glory is the weightiness of God. This palpable sense of the divine. Those moments when we feel like, wow, this experience it carries something pretty special here. There's a weightiness to it, maybe even a beauty and a holiness to it. And kavod is something we often rarely feel in our culture because we live in mostly a very light world where so many people live superficially in their relationships with others, where so many escape by binge-watching Netflix by working, working mind-numbing jobs, by following routines in which just one day bleeds into the next so that nothing ever feels weighty, like nothing feels astonishing or wondrous. But sometimes we, we experience the weightiness of God. It happens. We perceive it. Something breaks through. The, uh, the monotony is interrupted. The drudgery is disrupted. The boredom is pierced. <clears throat> and we, we sense that something here is important. Something beneath the surface of things, something deeper and wider and bigger than we can see. It reminds us of our own smallness and our impermanence. And we can be changed in those moments. Moses, in this story of Exodus, has been up and down Mount Sinai so many times I don't think he expects anything miraculous or wondrous to happen in this moment. 
Uh, as he experiences this journey toward the summit, he's swallowed up by a cloud. Uh, he spends the next 40 days in God's kavod, consumed by divine mystery. 40 days, that's a long time. I mean, some of you can't even be here for an hour a week, right? <laughs> Maybe Moses just needs some time to be astonished. I think Moses, he's been doing so much for the Israelites. He's been leading them all the way through the wilderness. He's been solving all their problems. He's been answering all their questions. He's felt the sting of so many of their attacks and their criticisms. I think he's just, he's just mentally and spiritually and even physically exhausted. He's been dealing with all the expectations of his people while managing the expectations of God. He's going back and forth and it's Moses this and Moses that. And he's pulled and stretched in a million different directions. Frayed and fried and awe-starved. I think Moses was experiencing what anybody would experience in this life in which they've committed to, to a sense of purpose and calling, uh, a life of meaning. Whenever we commit ourselves to that, we're going to have these moments of exhaustion. Those moments when the awe that once inspired us to do our work is slowly eclipsed by the demands and the drudgery and the challenges, the obligations of our lives. So much so that we look at our lives and we can't see the awe anymore. It's there. The kavod of God is there, but we just can't see it. And it happens to every one of us. Whether you're a pastor or a doctor or a, a truck driver or a school teacher, a banker, I think even cattle drivers experience this. Stay-at-home parents. It's the awe-starved soul. It's the longing for wonder, the deep yearning for beauty in the ordinary. It's the longing for awe in what can sometimes feel awful in life. We're talking about well-being in the in series, and what can we do for the awe-starved soul? I want to suggest two brief practices this morning. The first is what you're doing right now, keeping the Sabbath. The 40 days of kavod was for Moses the prescription, rest, restoration, recovery, and renewal. And sometimes we just need to leave the ordinary to experience the extraordinary. Even Jesus, time and time again, Disciples would sit around saying, where did Jesus go this time? And he was always in a garden or on a mountaintop or in a wilderness place experiencing the kavod of God so that when he got back into the scene, he would have remembered what awe looks like and be able to see it in sometimes the awfulness of his world. He goes in search of awe to bring it back. Moses has 40 days of kavod. It's an extraordinary experience. But do you remember what happens next in the story? Immediately after this story, Moses comes marching down the mountain. His face is glowing. And he finds his people dancing around a golden calf. Isn't that ironic? Isn't that how it always works? It's like coming home from this awesome weekend getaway only to find that the basement is flooded <laughs> and the baby has an ear infection 
and the dog turned the whole couch into a chew toy. And the rent is overdue. It always works that way. And so we live these stressed out lives. According to the most recent statistics, we are the most stressed out generation in American history. Three out of four Americans report experiencing both psychological and physical symptoms that are caused by stress. One out of every three Americans are living with what they call extreme stress. One out of two report that their stress has increased over the last five years. And maybe the worst of all is one out of every two. One out of every two Americans report lying awake in bed at night due to the stress. And in our unrelenting busyness, we've lost the rhythm between work and rest. We have to be reminded that all of life requires a rhythm of rest. There's a rhythm to everything. You breathe, and you breathe out, and you breathe in again, and there's a rhythm to your breathing that keeps you alive. A few hours ago, maybe you woke up because you slept, and you wake, and you sleep, and you wake, and there's a rhythm to your sleep. In fact, when you awaken, the first thing that goes on in your body is your body shooting cortisol and adrenaline right into your veins because it's saying to you, you got some challenges ahead, we're going to get you ready for this. And then by the evening, your body shoots melatonin through you to say, let it go, rest. There's a rhythm to our lives. There's a rhythm to creation. Day dissolves into night, night into day. There's a rhythm to our 24-hour cycle. There's a rhythm right now that we see as spring and summer and the growth gives way to dormancy in the fall and the winter. There's a rhythm to everything. And when we don't rest, we lose our awe. Uh, we lose our ability to delight in just simply being, being with others, being with God, being alone with ourselves. And so for lack of rest, our lives are endangered. Rhythm gets interrupted. Have you ever checked your email at 2.30 in the morning? Rhythm interrupted. The biblical prescription for rhythm is resting one day out of every seven. And it's not a commandment, a suggestion, it's a commandment. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. There's a six-day rhythm built into creation. I read even that zoo animals demonstrate adverse behavior when they are kept on display in zoos for more than six days at a time. Because Sabbath is built into the very fabric of creation. Which begs the question, why do we celebrate a 24-7 lifestyle. God commands us to take a day of rest because we don't know how to do anything but produce. When the Hebrew people were slaves in Egypt, they knew how to do nothing but make bricks. Seven days a week. Every day was a brick-making day. And Friday looked like Monday. Sunday like Tuesday. Seven days a week. And then Moses leads them out of Egypt and they're free from their brick-making work, but God has to command them to stop working one day a week. Why? Because in Egypt, their identity and self-worth was tied up in how many bricks they produced. And when they left Egypt, they had to redefine what it meant to be a human being. So God gives them one commandment. Take a day once a week to remember that you're not slaves 
and that your worth does not come from your work. It turns out that the real miracle was not getting the people out of Egypt, but getting the Egypt out of the people. You're not supposed to be on 24-7. Maybe it's more like 12-6. That doesn't mean you have to work 12 hours a day, but we're on for about 12, maybe 14 hours a week, a day, every day of the week. Uh, maybe it's more like, you know, get your work done in six days. And, and in the middle of your day or at the end of your day, carve out some time in that day for wonder. So keep the Sabbath. My other suggestion, a practice that we need to remember and incorporate into our lives, it's so urgent right now. Choose the immensity of God over the idolatry of little gods. While Moses is up on the mountaintop experiencing the kavod of God, his people are down there worshiping a calf of gold. And we humans, we don't know the difference sometimes between the immensity of God and the intensity of the world's idols. And if we don't know and find that which gives us genuine awe, we will go in search of it elsewhere, and we will find a cheap substitute, and we will give that substitute ultimate meaning. And so wealth, substances, power, popularity, these are some of our idols. Every idol, it lures us with this intensity and a volume that demands our attention and blinds us to beauty. And can I tell you what I think today is the loudest, most intense and demanding idol of our modern world? Cable news. There's a a word that Christians have used for centuries to describe how we learned about the immensity or kavod of God. That word is catechesis. You maybe have heard of catechism. It refers to the religious training and instruction given to somebody who's on the journey toward conversion or baptism in the Christian faith. And the church has always been that place where catechism occurs. But in the modern world, cable news networks have become the new cathedral. And political commentary has become the new catechism. And ideology has become the new theology. And the intensity of partisan opinion has eclipsed the immensity of divine truth. Have you noticed today everything is breaking news, a bombshell report, a shocking revelation, an explosive expose? I walk in the room and the cable news is on and I think, it's just a developing story. I got time, right? <laughs> I'm, I share this struggle with you. We are bombarded every day with messages trying to convince us that everything is so immense and important that we've forgotten what really is important and what is of ultimate concern. And have you noticed that following every one of those news stories, is a pharmaceutical commercial (laughs) peddling medications for anxiety and depression and high blood pressure and migraines and ulcers because we're so stressed out and we're bummed out and we're freaked out and we're tied up in knots over the news. 
Every cable news network recorded record viewership in 2021. The average American church, on the other hand, saw a decline in worship attendance of 51%. And the average American watches 24 hours of TV every week, the bulk of which is cable news. And we subject ourselves to this cultural catechesis every single day, 24-7, hour after hour after hour. And for Christians on both sides of the aisle, it has become the modern-day golden calf. And then we come to church for just one hour a week. And we wonder why we are so awe-starved and so angry and so polarized. And why, as Mac in that movie says, the world doesn't make any sense. And we're getting used to it. Can I make a suggestion? Pray and serve God at least as much as you watch cable news. And you will walk in here with a golden halo on your head. I promise you. When we confuse intensity with immensity, we lose that healthy sense of smallness and the humility that we need in the face of God's greatness. And we just shout into the noise, but the noise is never the truth. That's what the story of Moses teaches us. Kavod always rises above the noise. It's in the cloud where only the voice of God can be heard. Our takeaways for today. There is an awe-filled presence in the world that is deeper and wider and bigger than anything we can imagine. To find it, keep the Sabbath. To experience it, always choose immensity over idolatry.
Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.